Well, we're doing a summer of stories and maybe even looking more into the future about stories um, into the fall here. And I'm just going through some of the stories that, uh, that we all may have learned in Sunday School or Vacation Bible School, but maybe we haven't heard in a while. Today we're going to do Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Or as I'm like going to call them because I learned this in VeggieTales, Rack, Shack, and Benny. Okay, Rack, Shack. Some of you have not heard this story since VeggieTales, and some of you missed out on VeggieTales, and you may not have heard this since Sunday School. You may have last heard this story, in fact, on a flannel graph. Does anybody in here remember a flannel graph? Okay, so you come into Sunday school. I got to catch some of the youngins up here, my youngins. Okay, a flannel graph used to have this flannel board, and you'd have these flannel characters. And I only remember about five of them. So you had Jesus, and then every other male character was the same looking guy. It was Abraham, Moses, it was whoever it was. And they would, you'd act out. The, uh, the Bible story on the flannel, a piece of flannel stuck to flannel. Um, some of you do remember the flannel graphs now. Okay. We, there's probably still one or two in a closet in this church somewhere. Okay. Yeah. Now, it's interesting when you go back as an adult and read these stories, which most of us have not done. Like, like most of us, this story, these stories stopped when we run flannel graphs or veggie tales, and we've never read them as an adult. Some of these stories, when you go back and read them as an adult, you think, oh my goodness, that wasn't on the flannel graph, right? You, you start to think, oh my goodness, there's like a whole PG-13 version of a lot of these stories that I never got in the flannel graph. Veggie tales skipped over that part. And so um, it's interesting to go back and read these stories as an adult and see the lessons very, very differently than maybe you would have when you were a kid. And I think that's important because if we're going to live these, this Bible, if it's going to be stories we live by, then a lot of these stories have to get past their like uh, rated G VeggieTales version. And we've got to look at them in their real social context. So we're going to talk. I am going to borrow the VeggieTales. We're going to go Rack, Shack, and Benny. So I don't have to say those names all the time. But uh, Rack, Shack, and Benny, here we go. But, but to, to even get into that, as an adult, you go back and read these stories. You've got to understand the context of the story. You got to understand what's happening that get us into the fiery furnace. So you got to try to pretend as an adult when you read these stories. You got to play it out like a movie. You got to try to go back in time and see it as it was. And you got to try to remember that, that the characters don't know how this ends. Like you had the flannel graph, they never had the flannel graph. They don't know what's going to happen. So you got to give the story a little bit of space to breathe. To understand this, you got to understand we're, we're in the book of Daniel. Daniel was written during the period of the exile. And I go back to this again and again because you've you got to understand, if, if you want to understand your Bible, you, you have to understand the exodus and the exile because those are the two sort of poles that the Old Testament sort of rotates around. If you don't get exodus and exile, then it's hard to even get Jesus because so much of the imagery of exodus and exile lead to Jesus. So here's exile. The nation of Israel had been born, but then it had divided to a, a nation called Israel in the north and a nation called Judah in the south. So it gets really confusing when you read your Old Testament sometimes to say, are they talking about Israel like the whole thing or Israel just the north part? Okay, so Israel is the north part. It's a little bit smaller, a little bit weaker, and it's closer to some of the superpowers that sort of come up in those days. Okay, so as the Babylonians become a power... 
um, they start taking over parts of Israel. And in about 722 BC, they destroy this northern, most of this northern part of Israel in this area called this city called Samaria, which was the capital. So we're actually reading a story in Daniel about a king, Nebuchadnezzar. He starts reigning in about 605 BC. So this is even before Nebuchadnezzar's rule. Later, the Assyrians will come down and they'll wipe out Judah and destroy um, uh, Jerusalem, their capital. Okay, so that's coming later in Daniel. Happens during Daniel's time. Okay, now, now with the Babylonians and Assyrians, they had this giant empire. Imagine trying to rule a giant empire that's, that's most of the known world at the time. And you got no phones. Okay, you got no telegraphs. You, got, you, got, you barely can do letters. Hard, letters have to be hand-carried everywhere. How do you control such a big area? Well, you've got to weaken the people. So here's what they would do. They would take some of your people. It was normally the elite people. Like, think the kings, the artists, the wealthy, the best craftsmen. Okay? The people that were really the culture makers. What you would do is you would yank them out of Samaria. And you would take them and you'd put them in your empire all throughout. And then you know what happened? They would do well in your empire and you would gain on taxes because you'd have all these great, smart, wealthy people in different parts of the empire. But you know what they would do after a couple generations? Because they weren't together, they would lose their cultural identity. So they wouldn't be Jewish anymore. They'd just be Babylonian. And then what you would do is you'd move people from other places to that place that you left a vacuum, right? And so what they do is they took a bunch of Babylonian people and they put them in Samaria. And those Samaritans, those Samari- the people who live there mixed with the Babylonians and then you get these people called the Samaritans, which are like bad guys when we come to the New Testament because they're half Babylonian, half Jewish. Okay? So if you, if you can imagine, the people that are left behind also lose their cultural identity. Right? Because all the people that designed the culture are gone. And now you have wealthy leaders that aren't, and, and really smart people that aren't, uh, that aren't Jewish, that are now leading in that community. You can see how your religion would fall apart. Your language would fall apart. In fact, when the people would come back from exile, when their names are listed in books like Ezra and Nehemiah, their names aren't Jewish. They're Babylonian. Their names in three generations are not even Jewish anymore. They start to lose their identity. So the crisis of the Old Testament is, first of all, a crisis of identity. Can we keep our identity in a culture that is antithetical to our own? But then the other, the other crisis is a crisis of faith. Can we trust that God will be faithful to us even though he let this happen? Can we trust God when we've gone through all of this? And suddenly when we look at this ancient world that seems so different from our own... It doesn't seem that different from our own. Because I think in a, lot of, in a lot of ways, there's no spot in the Bible that makes more of a connection with our world today than exile. Because we're in a culture that, that is becoming increasingly antithetical to things that are Christian, values that we have had. And Christians, I think, are in a crisis of identity and in a crisis of faith. So we go back to these stories to think about them. And, and we look at this book of Daniel. Daniel is really easily divided into two sections. There's a bunch of stories at the beginning. And there's a bunch of weird prophecies at the end. I'm going to preach one of the stories. I'm going to leave the prophecies alone. Okay, the, the book is named after a character named Daniel who interprets a dream of King Nebuchadnezzar. 
ends up in a position of authority in exile. This would happen often, right? The smart people would rise to the top. And, and Babylon was such a mixture of people, and then Assyria and Persia and then Rome, that you really could work your way up. So Daniel gets into a position of power, and then he's got three friends. Again, we're calling them Rakshak and Benny. And Rakshak and Benny followed Daniel, and Daniel was working in the court of the king, King Nebuchadnezzar, and Rakshak and Benny get put in charge of part of Babylon. Now in Daniel 3, King Nebuchadnezzar makes an image of, uh, of a god that is 90 feet or so high in a valley there near Babylon. Babel, by the way, comes. this is connected with the Tower of Babel. Babel, Babylon. And so this is sort of a, a, an echo of this Tower of Babylon. And what he says is that, okay, well, I'm going to put this, this in the valley, and everybody who works for me, all the really important people that are in charge, are going to come to this valley, and they're going to bow down in, together. It's going to be kind of like a, a power thing, but it's also going to be kind of a team-building thing. Like, we're all going to do this together, and we're going to recognize who's really in charge of this area. And so it's coordinated. When the music of instruments play then everybody's going to bow down and worship immediately. And those that are not are going to be tossed in the fiery furnace. Probably the fiery furnace is there to melt the gold to make the giant idol, the giant statue. So there's a furnace right there. Why would you make it somewhere else? You've got to make it right there. Okay. So anybody who doesn't, you're going to be thrown in this fiery furnace. By the way, the Babylonians were absolutely cruel and terrible people. I mean, some of their artwork that we have found to this day shows them doing terrible things to the people that they've taken over. Um, so th- this story of a f- putting people in a fiery furnace it totally fits historically with what these people were like. They were cruel. You did not want to mess with the Babylonians. So let's pick up the story now in Daniel 3. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to just read sections and then comment on them. We'll go right through the story. Therefore, at the time the Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews, they declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast in the burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews who you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. So these Chaldeans, they're like enchanters. Okay? They're magicians. Okay? They are pagan worship leaders in Babylon. And they notice that everybody else is bowing but there's these three characters that won't bow in front of everybody. And it's obvious because the valley is full of all these leaders and they won't bow down. And they go to the king and say, King, you said whoever's not going to get bowed down goes in the fiery furnace. And I saw these three and they weren't, they're, they're tattletailing, right? Okay, this happens at my house. They're tattletailing on them and trying to get them in trouble. So here's the dilemma the king is in. He made a decree. They're not following the decree. He made a clear punishment. Now he looks foolish if he doesn't follow through on the punishment. So let's pick up. The Nebuchadnezzar in a furious rage commanded Rakshak and Beni to be brought. So they brought these men before the king. 
Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast in the burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? And so the King Kings brings it forward. Hey, is this true? Guys, first of all, is this true? Second of all, I like you. I'm going to give you one last chance. I'm going to play the music again. You can bow in front of everybody else. After all, uh, the king sees this clearly as a theological battle. You think you've got a God who's more strong than my fiery furnace. Uh, Do you really want to test this theory? So, verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set before us. Now look at the faith of Rakshak and Benny here. We always, we, we, again, we read the Bible and we know the answers. We know what's going to happen. But let's remember, they're standing before Nebuchadnezzar and they don't have a clue how this is going to turn out. What they say is, yes, our God is able to take us out of the fiery furnace. He's able to spare us. But what do they say? But even if not. But if not. In other words, they have a very real sense God could spare them from this and God may not. And still they have faith. You understand, it's not faith until you have a but if not. Okay? If it's it's a fact, then I don't need a but if not. That's not faith. That's knowing. You know how often in my life I have had God, God, I will do whatever you want. Can we just have some guarantees here? You know what I mean? Like, hey, God, can you just tell me it's going to be okay? Can you tell me a little bit of how this is going to work out? Man, how many times do we negotiate with God? And yet the faith of Rakshak and many, they don't know how this is going to turn out. And fiery furnace, it could turn out real bad. And they have the faith to say, God could spare us from that. But even if not, I'm not bound to your idols. What an amazing moment of faith. And they don't know what's coming. Remember, you do. You may remember from the flannel graph. They don't, they've never seen the flannel graph. They don't know how this is going to go. That's what real faith is. When you can say, but if not, and still have faith. The Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury. And the expression of his face changed against Rakshak and Benny. He ordered the furnace heated to seven times more than it's usually heated. And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Rakshak and Benny, cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men bound their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, their other garments, and they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flames of the fire killed those men who took up Rakshak and Benny. And these three men... Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego fell bound into the fiery furnace. So the king is so mad, he says, heat that baby up. Let's go. Seven times, they don't have a thermometer. Seven is the number of perfection. It means like he heated it up 
as hot as it could possibly go. And then they bound Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to throw them in the fire. And the fire is so hot that the people who have to throw them in die. That's how hot this is. And they throw them in. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three bound men into the fire? And they answered and said to him, True, O king. He answered, But I see four men unbound walking around in the midst of the fire. They are not hurt, and the appearance of the fourth is like the sun, like a son of the gods. This is how terrible Nebuchadnezzar is. He stays to watch the show. Okay, he hangs out to watch these people who rebel against him burn. <laughs> but what he looks at, he sees something a little different. And so he asks the people, hey, didn't we throw three bound people in there? And I would love to have seen the response of everybody. Like, I don't want to question the king's ability to count to three. Yeah, king, we, there was three. We were all here. We saw them. We threw them in. They were bound. But he says, wait a minute. They're not bound. And there's four of them. And they're walking around. So, so imagine the king. He's looking, expecting to hear screams of terror. Writhing in pain. Probably at that heat, not for very long. Just extreme and be done. Instead, they stand up and start walking around in the fire. Okay? You've got to imagine the scene here. Okay? And, it, and it, I could just imagine the king. It, it's like not processing. Like, what is going they're like walking, like you ever had one of those moments where you see something unexpected and you're like trying to process it, but you can't. This happens to me late at night a lot. Okay. Um, and, you're, and then he's like, wait, didn't we throw four or three in there? And they said, yeah, there's a fourth walking around. They're not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. We have no idea what he means by that or what he imagines by that. He can, it, is this character just shining? Strong, clear. What, what is this going on here? Jews and Christians have often tried to figure out this fourth figure. Okay? Nebuchadnezzar is going to turn around and interpret it as an angel. And for some, that's, that seems to make sense. But, it, but also he describes him as looking like a son of the gods. Right? Um, and so the other interesting question is, is this an appearance of God in human form? Well, what do we call God in human form? Jesus. Okay, so there are several times in the Old Testament where we do see what seems to be God in human form. We call them Christophanies, where we think it might actually be a view of Jesus before his incarnation. The point is, they're not alone. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace. He declared, Rack, Shack, Benny, servants of the Most High, come out and come here. Then Rack, Shack, and Benny come out from the fire. And the satraps, the perfects, the governors, the king's counselors gathered together and saw the fire had not had any power over their bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed, the cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him. And set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree. Any people, nation or nation or language that speaks anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb. 
Their house is laid in ruins, and there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Rakshak and Beni in the province of Babylon. So the king calls them out of the flames. Remember, the entire elite class, all the rulers of Babylon are sitting here to witness this. And the fire has done nothing. Just burned their roofs. But their hair's fine. Like I burn my hair on my grill. It doesn't take that much. They are totally unfazed. They don't even smell like smoke. There's no fire. This fire did not touch them in front of everybody. Everybody is witness to this. And the pagan king who built this idol and demand people bow to it now makes a decree that no one's allowed to speak badly or refrain these people from worshiping their God. You know what that means? It's not just a Rakshak and Benny spared. But it means the people of Israel that are stuck in exile have the right to worship their God freely. See, it's not just saving Rakshak and many. It actually might be a chance to save the cultural identity of these Jewish people who are stuck in exile. Suddenly, they're allowed to worship God too. They may be able to keep their faith, cling to their heritage, hold on to their identity in exile. And the book of Daniel continues like this as they struggle, as different kings come to power. In fact, there's a very similar story coming in just a few chapters where Daniel stands up and won't worship the king. And where does he end up? The lion's den, right? Very similar story. The guy he is spared of a lion's den. Again, God prevails. Why? Because God is with them. So the hope of this story is that when you feel like your identity is being threatened, when you feel like you're losing everything, when you feel like everything is against you, you are not alone. The God who is powerful enough to, to spare is with you. And some of you may feel like Rakshak and Benny on the plains of Babylon, where you feel pressured to bow to the idols of culture or success or politics or whatever you're being tempted by now. And this story is a story of a call to bravery. That you should stand up and, and really follow Jesus, even if you have a, but if not, even if you're not sure how it's going to end. And some of you today, like Rakshak and many, feel like you're in the furnace. You feel the heat of the pain or an injury or impending surgeries or broken relationships or mistakes in the past. Consequences from things you've done or things you should have done. And if you're in the fire today, the story is the same. You are not alone. The Jesus who shows up in the fire. Now I tend to think that this is Jesus. Because isn't this just like Jesus? To enter into our pain, to enter into our suffering, to become human, to go to the cross, to make sure you know that you are not alone. In fact, you won't even smell like smoke when it's over. So be brave. Keep your faith and cling to your identity in Christ. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.